All right. So, Dave, you need to turn this down a little bit because I'm going to get up and shout here a little bit. So, thank you. That's a little better. Okay. So, the title of the series is Reasonable Faith, Scientific Evidence for Creation. Um, and what I want to start out with is kind of laying some groundwork because we can't really get into this whole topic without kind of uh, setting the stage for what it's going to uh, what it's going to entail. So what we have with science and faith is we have what we call some different worldviews. That's the way that you look at the world and make sense of everything that you perceive. So one worldview is the naturalistic worldview, and basically it says that nature's it. Nature's all there is. Nature is totally unmodified by anything other than itself, so there is no external agent affecting the universe in any way. And the nature is the ultimate reality. And a person that believes that, if you try to talk about faith, they want to talk about, yeah, but what's real? Nature, that's what's real. I'm not into the imaginary stuff. I want to know what's real. That's the naturalistic worldview. Nature is it. In opposition, we have the theistic worldview, which says there is an infinite personal God. He's the creator of the universe, and he supernaturally acts on the things in the universe. There is something, a personal God, outside of nature, outside of the universe, outside of our natural reality, that is working in what we see around us. Everything that is uh, all of the universe, God is at work in it. That's the theistic worldview. So you kind of get the idea that those two worldviews are slightly different, mutually exclusive. They cannot agree about many things because, well, either there is a God that is acting or nature's it and there is no God. So they've got some very deep philosophical differences. So I want to start out with, since we have these two different domains, I want to start with the acronym NOMA. That was coined by Stephen Jay Gould, um, a scientist, an evolutionary scientist. And he basically said, we have these two spheres of influence. The, they are non-overlapping magisteria or domains. You've got two different domains. And they don't have anything to do with each other. They're completely separate from each other. And those two domains are the domain of science and the domain of religion, or we would call it faith. And basically, the whole idea of Noma is that science talks about what's real in the real world. It talks about nature. It talks about the universe. It talks about the laws that govern that. It's everything that we can see, hear, touch, taste, smell. Everything that is what they would call real. And then you've got the domain of faith, which talks about morality and values and things like that. Some examples. Uh, science would talk about things like, uh, what's the force of gravity? How many electrons are there in an oxygen atom? What's the mass of water? So they would talk about things that are real, observable, in nature. And faith would talk about, uh, what did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? And how are we supposed to live? and the history of the Hebrew people and the Moses leadership and the praise psalms that David wrote, his, his poems of praise to God. That's what would be in the faith domain. Now, wouldn't it be nice if it was clean and neat like that, that they were totally different spheres? But we start at the beginning of the Bible, and it says, in the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. All of a sudden, those two are no longer separate domains. Because right at the very beginning, God invades the natural world, the universe, the cosmos, and he's acting in that domain. So we have uh, overlapping domains. Now, Carl Sagan, famous astronomer, said, the cosmos is all that is or was or ever will be. Now, he would believe that the natural world, the universe, everything, the you know, physical laws, that that's it. Okay? So he would separate those two, two domains completely, totally separate, and the science domain is really all there is. The other, the faith domain, is yeah, kind of nebulous. It really doesn't have a lot of meaning. It's not real. So we know by what I just said, and you believe me because... I said it, and I had a PowerPoint slide, um, that these two domains do overlap. Some of you know Venn diagrams, right? Yeah, Peggy said, you say Venn diagrams, and some people are not going to know what you're talking about. It's one of those things right there. You did it. Well, they're kids. They learn these things in school, okay? So the two domains overlap. There's a science part, the mass of water. There's a faith part, the Ten Commandments. But there's also a part that's in the science domain. It's also in the faith domain. And God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, so the, there was a Genesis flood, and water was on the earth for uh, 100 and whatever days, right? Um, these are where faith is invading into the science realm. So what do we do in that intersection there in the middle? It's a science-y thing. It's also a faith thing. And do those two domains agree when faith touches science or science touches faith? Do they agree? Not always. In fact, a lot of times they don't agree. Science says one thing and faith says something different. Now, if they say two different things, what do we know? Somebody's wrong. Somebody's wrong. Okay, so that's where we really need to investigate. We don't really need to do the faith uh, thing and try to investigate what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. That's there. Science really has nothing to say about that. So that is in, that's not arguable, okay? And the mass of water, um, well, the Bible really doesn't talk a lot about the mass of water, and it's fairly easy to figure out, so we don't have a question about that. But that intersection in the middle, we do have some questions. Now, some people would answer that. Um, let's pretend those are not empty circles. Let's pretend those are sol solid objects. And if those are solid objects, then one of them's in front of the other one. So as you can see, what's science doing to the faith circle? It's covering it up, right? Some of the science stuff, as science is learning more things, scientists are discovering more things, it basically is edging out faith. It says, well, you don't have to believe that anymore because science has proved that this is what's real. So you don't have to believe that stuff anymore because science has the real answer. And they would assume that as we progress and continue on, more and more scientific discoveries will be made and faith will become a smaller and smaller and smaller sphere, okay? Oh, well, there's a little something I just wanted to add in when I was thinking about it this morning. Actually, 
Do you know the reality of that? When they make new scientific discoveries, are those usually in opposition to faith and they rule out faith? No. No. Most of the new scientific discoveries prove that other scientific discoveries were wrong. So actually, science is disproving science. So the domain of science is not getting bigger. It's just changing. So we used to believe this, but now we know better. So now we believe that. Okay? And um, Linda's right that science also, a lot of the scientific discoveries are actually supporting what we believe from what we read in the Bible. So it's not necessarily science is going to overrule faith. Um, and we've got this Stephen Hawking quote. Now, he's like Carl Sagan. He's a very intelligent cosmologist. And, um, oh, i got to click it again. And he kind of believes that there is a difference between religion and science. Religion based on authority, science based on observation and reason. And he believes that science will win because it works. So it's very clear to him that faith really has no business even being in the conversation. Okay? The science is it. Science is all. It works. Would they make discoveries and it all fits together? And look at that. It's perfect. All right. Oh, I just did something. Oh, I undid it. There we go. So, like I said before, and I just showed you the, um, there we go, um, that part, that intersection in the middle, that's where we have the questions. That's where we need to seek the answers. And what I like to do is try to make sure that those answers actually fit on both sides, that they've got faith to back them up. They also have good, solid science to back them up. Because if faith and science agree, we can be fairly certain that it's right. The Bible agrees with that. Science agrees with that. Well, that's good. So that's where we want to find our answers, right in that intersection where faith and science collide, cooperate. Um, uh, Stephen C. Meyer, a Christian cosmologist, uh, he says there will always be points of tension or unresolved conflict. The major developments in science in the past five decades have been running in a strongly theistic direction. And I love this quote. Science done right points toward God. So... We're going to start out, that, there's our background, okay? Domain of science, domain of faith, where do they intersect, and how can we find the answers in those places where they may have a disagreement? So we're going to start at the beginning, Jeff, right? Jeff gave me so much good stuff to work with, and he had a very short question. Yeah, but what about cosmology, geology, and anthropology? So he gave me three ologies, okay? Entire branches of science. So uh, that kind of gave me a framework for, okay, we'll talk about that then. So cosmology is the science of the origin and development of the universe. That's the beginnings, how it all got started, how is it organized, how did it develop. So we're going to be talking about that just a bit. Ever seen that picture before? Or one like it? You know, if you had that view from your backyard uh, easy chair, you'd probably stay up late at night, wouldn't you? Whoa. That's pretty awesome. Of course, that's in a really big telescope, so they're looking really close, so they'll be able to see stuff that you wouldn't be able to see, but wow, that's pretty amazing. So, science says this all started with 
No, actually, it would be the Big Bang. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, the Big Bang is not the name of it. I don't know what the name of it is. But somebody who derided it early on called it, oh, you mean the Big Bang? And the name stuck. So the people that invented this whole concept uh, didn't call it that, but somebody did, and uh, the name stuck. So do we understand a little bit about the Big Bang? Okay. A uh, big explosion, everything scatters out, all the stuff that you see in the background there, you know, out into space. Okay. Uh, here's a little bit more about it. The Big Bang started with a singularity. And now, they don't call it a singularity because the singularity, well, that's a generic term. It means it's a, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It only happens once. They call it the singularity. At the beginning, before the Big Bang, there was, it's weird, everything that was nothing. It took up no space. There was no time. All the laws of physics didn't apply. The mass of this something that was nothing was infinite. You all know about infinite, right? Yeah, infinite is hard because... There's no end, right? And density was infinite. So it had an infinite mass, density, temperature. There was no time, there's no space, and there's no laws of physics, which is very, very convenient if you want to look at how everything began because they say they can't go back to the beginning, the singularity when it was, had no size because, of course, how do you observe it if, if it has no size? You can't observe it. So they go back to thousands or ten thousandths of a second after the Big Bang. They say, we'll start there. Okay? And Stephen Hawking says, see, because there's no laws of physics, gravity, nuclear stuff, electro, no, none of that is, is in play yet. So he basically says the universe is totally uncaused because we can't go back to what was before. And he said everything that went before really had nothing to do with what came after. Okay, um, so there was this everything which was nothing, and it took up no space, and there was no time, and it didn't really cause anything, but then everything got caused somehow. So that's very difficult. Now, why do science, uh, scientists have so much trouble with this concept? Because science is built on observation. You've got to be able to see it, to measure it, to calculate it. And when you go all the way back to the very beginning, there's nothing to see. There's nothing to measure. If the laws of physics are not in place, there's nothing to calculate. You have no way of figuring out. And they say, since it's impossible to figure out, we don't have to figure it out. We'll just start at that point. But, of course, in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Right? There was something before, and God created everything that there is. So, gee, what was I just saying? There you go. All right, what does it say? Three things right there. What did God create? Heavens, which is space. He discovered, or he invented, created all of the space. What else? Earth, which you can say dirt, dust, 
matter? Oh, he created all the space and all the stuff that's going to fill that space. And the third thing, it's a real hard one to find. Beginning. He also created time. Because God is timeless and immaterial. He's outside of the universe. He's outside of time. He's beyond time. And we all kind of understand that, right? His omnipotence and his omniscience. He's all present. He's all powerful. He operates outside of time. He's not limited by the universe in which we live. He's unlimited. He is the I am, the eternal one. So he created time, space, matter. Is that a good day's work? I guess. Now, when he creates matter, you all understand he's creating all of the elemental particles, protons, neutrons, and electrons, and all the rules by which they operate. Neutrons and protons both have virtually the same mass, but not quite the same. Neutrons are just a little bit heavier, and it's a good thing they are. Uh, Protons are positively charged. Electrons are negatively charged. There's a strong magnetic force, or strong nuclear force, a weak nuclear force, uh, electromagnetic force that all operate in every atom of everything there is. Everything's made of atoms. So he created all the rules for atoms to work. Little atoms, big atoms, with lots of electrons, with not very many electrons, with more mass, with less mass. He figured that all out. Okay? So when he creates matter, he creates all of the atoms and all the rules by which they operate. He also uh, invented some of the the energy in the world there because inside the atom we have a tremendous amount of power. There's nuclear energy, right? Now, an atomic bomb, a nuclear weapon, uh, does that unleash all of that energy? No. It unleashes a tiny part of all that energy, okay? If you could unleash all that energy, oh, boy, yes, indeed. Um, so, we've got God in Genesis 1-1 creating three things. Time, space, and matter. Okay, that's good. And we continue. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Right? A little more word of explanation. Now, let's substitute for waters fluid, because as you look in the background... You see all this massive, like, clouds of, like, stuff around, right? So there was this stuff floating around in a fluid state, which doesn't mean a liquid. It means something that will flow. So all this dust, all these atoms, all this everything, it's flowing, it's coalescing together into stars and planets and stuff like that. So God's hovering over all that, just like we see in here. And you can imagine God looking it all over, right? He's creating and watching his creation development. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, you all know what light is, right? What you can see, right? There's more to it. Light is electromagnetic energy, most of which you can't actually What other electromagnetic uh, energy is there that we can't see? The sunburn energy? Come on, what is it? Ultraviolet. The toaster oven energy? Infrared. Then you have the microwave energy. 
you have, if you go to the doctor and you have to, you have to want to check your bones or something like X-rays, gamma rays, radio waves, short waves, FM frequencies. You've got 75 octaves of different wavelengths. One of those octaves is visible. 74 of those are other forms of energy that are all part of light. What waves are visible? Navy waves, <laughs> there you go. And back in World War II, wax were, wa uh, were visible too, waves and wax. Um, so we've got, God creates pretty much the rest of all of the energy, the electromagnetic spectrum, X-rays, gamma rays, beta rays, all those rays, and where do they go? All over. Do you know you're emanating some of those waves right now? Infrared. The military has those infrared like goggles and stuff like that, and they actually could see you in complete darkness because you're generating infrared radiation. Wow, it's just like the sun. You're like glowing. That's amazing. So what did God create in Genesis 1, 1, 2, and 3? All of time, all of the space in the universe, all of the matter in the universe, and all of the energy in the universe. Wow. He put it all together, all the raw materials, so that we could have a functioning universe. And did it stay like that? No. It was continually changing. Things are coming together. Stars are forming. Planets are forming. And this was a process, okay? They say a, a star goes into supernova, and then it becomes a black hole. Everything collapses in it, and heavier elements are formed. Because stars originally only produce helium from hydrogen, and then when all that collapses, it forms bigger elements. And then it goes supernova again, and it all collapses and it forms even more of the big elements. So you've got to have an older star to form planets like the Earth, which are mostly mineral component, heavier elements, iron, nickel, etc. So we're now back to the Big Bang, science domain, and in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the faith domain. And we're back to that question in the middle. Now that we know, okay, science says this, Bible says this, what's in the question mark area? What do we believe? God, crea God created the Big Bang. Okay? Um, that would blend the two, and God created through the Big Bang. Okay? Um, and we do have some evidence for that. Um, can you imagine a Big Bang? A Big Bang, like dynamite, like fireworks. Like fireworks. Yeah, Brian knows about those. These are the big ones, okay? Um, now, a Big Bang sounds like something that would create chaos rather than order, right? Everything would just like, you know. Um, but did you realize that the universe is not that way? It's not chaotic. It's very orderly. There is a concept called fine-tuning of the universe. You all understand fine-tuning, right? You know, like you tune in a radio with the old dials and all that kind of stuff. Um, you set up the conditions so that it can work. That's, uh, the fine-tuning of the universe is an extraordinary balancing of the fundamental laws and parameters of physics and initial conditions of the universe. That's a lot of blah, 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 blah. But God 
or however it happened, uh, the universe is very, very freakishly uh, organized in a way that it can exist. And if anything were different, uh, there would be no universe. Okay, wow, lucky us. Lucky us, or not. Okay. I've got this quote. This is one of my faves. Uh, it's from Discovery Magazine, and it says the universe is unlikely. Pause. Very unlikely. Slowly and deeply. Deeply. Shockingly. Unlikely. Uh, you could add one more word after that. Impossible. Impossible. It can't exist. I'm sorry. So here we go. Are you ready to do a little math? You know your bigger numbers, right? Your exponential numbers. Okay, let's take the force of gravity. And I, I really like the, the description I got. This, uh, some of this stuff is from, actually a lot of it is from um, the case for creator, Lee Strobel, asking various different scientists. And he asks a lot of hard questions. And he talks to some very big-headed, smart scientist types. So you take the force of gravity which has a certain force set up at the beginning when God created atoms and, and everything there is and set up the rules by which they operate. you got the force of gravity, and it's that much. Okay, um, At the other end of the natural forces that we have, you have the strong nuclear force, which is the force that holds the nucleus of an atom, the neutrons and protons together, because they don't want to stay together because the protons are all positively charged, and they want to do what? They want to charge, right? So the strong nuclear force is a very strong force that holds all that together. So those are the two ends of what we know of as forces in the universe. Okay? So force of gravity, very weak. Strong nuclear force, very strong. Take the universe. Put a ruler on the universe. How many inches is that? A lot. Okay? At one end, you've got the force of gravity. At the other end, you've got strong nuclear force. Like it's a radio dial. Let's change that dial a little bit. Let's move the force of gravity across the whole universe. Let's move it one inch. Just one inch of the entire width of the universe. We move that force of gravity one inch. Guess what happens? Well, think of your weight. You don't have to say anything out loud. We'll calculate this, okay? You got your weight? Multiply it by a billion. Increase the force of gravity that much, just about one inch out of the whole universe. Change it that tiny amount. We all of a sudden are a billion times heavier, which means we're dead, right? Um, what about planets if gravity was a billion times stronger? They would be shrunk and packed together because the gravity would be so overwhelmingly strong. Uh, what if you only moved it like a thousandth of an inch. Take your weight, multiply by a million. Now you, you just lost a lot of weight. You just lost, you know, ninety or nine hundred. I don't know uh, a lot of your weight, but you're still a million times heavier than you are right now, and life is still impossible. Okay, so um, there's one. That's one in ten to the fortieth power. That's a one with forty zeros after it. That's trillions of trillions of trillions of trillions of trillions. 
And that's just by changing it by one inch. We can't even change it by one inch. We'd have to change it by less than a thousandth, like a hundred thousandths of an inch or something like that for gravity to even work. Okay, I see that it's after 10 o'clock, so we're just going to take a pause at this point. Hold your breath. And we'll pick it up next week since I used up all the available time plus three minutes. A lot. I got the strong nuclear force. I got the cosmological constant. Well, I got about five or six. And some of them are, are repeats. Ready to go on? Okay. On the other end of that scale, the strong nuclear fo force that holds atoms together. Also one in 10 to the 40 because it's on the same scale. Okay. Change that by even a little bit. Make it a little bit weaker. What happens to that nucleus if the strong nuclear force isn't as strong? All the protons go off on their own. And the only atom you can have is hydrogen. Because it only has one neutron and no protons. So they can't... So then we wouldn't have any other kinds of atoms. The entire universe would be just hydrogen. Can we exist with a universe of hydrogen? Mm, not really, because even stars burning hydrogen to make helium and give off, yeah, but they can't make helium because it's impossible. So that's 1 in 10 to the 40. Put those two together. That's one chance in 10 to the 80th power. That's the one with 80 zeros after it. If the other one was impossible, this is super impossible. You got the one that they just finally proved here just a couple of years ago the cosmological const constant, and that's the density of energy in empty space, because empty space still has some energy. And they've measured, finally, the density of that energy. Okay? And the bigger the space, has the same density, the more energy there is. So they say if you change that at all, stronger, there's too much energy, and the universe rampantly explodes. Everything flies apart from each other. Nothing will hold together. If you weaken it too much, it's like a stretched rubber band. It goes out to a certain point, and then not enough energy. It collapses back on itself. So universes cannot sustain themselves. They would just implode. So change that. The universe will either explode or implode. Either way, we're toast. So put that together with the other two. We had 10 to the 40th, 10 to the 40th, 10 to the 53rd. And that's grand total of? Come on. One chance out of 10 to the 133rd power. That's a big number, right? To compare uh, uh, other big numbers, the number of elemental particles in the universe estimated that's protons, neutrons, electrons, total, all of them in every atom. One in 10 to the 80th power. How much bigger is the 133rd power than the 80th power? <laughs> Remember, change the 80th power to the 81st power. What did you just do? You just multiplied it by 10. Change that to the 82nd power. You just multiplied it by 10 again. You just multiplied it by 100. Okay. So to go from 80 to 133, you're multiplying that impossibly large number of all of the particles in the universe by millions and millions and billions. That's three. There are, I don't know if I have a slide for that, there are over 34 of these different kinds of parameters that need to be set for the universe to exist. 34. And with just those three, 
we have an impossibly large number. How fine-tuned is the universe? Very. All of a sudden, that means a little more, doesn't it? Deeply, shockingly unlikely, impossible, no possible chance. So the Big Bang could not create the universe because creating the universe is impossible because there's no way you could fine-tune all those different things to make it work, and yet it did work. It, it is here, right? It's still working after however many long years. So when we get back to our question, science, faith, domains, they intersect, and now I think we may have an idea about what we can confidently believe. Does it fit with the science? Sure. A big bang that's incredibly fine-tuned, and God creating everything that there is, time, space, matter, and energy. I think we could agree that the science does agree with the faith. And that's all I have to say about that. I'll shorten down next week's message. I'll try. I have trouble shortening. I'm used to a 50-minute class, you know? And people coming in tardy and having to go to the bathroom, that doesn't take up that much time. All right. Let's give him a hand just to get ready. Good. Are you staying up here? We are. Let's stand and sing the first and last.